Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com. part of the plan to put a brewery in but for many years it was just a plan it's a 100% acquisition of Green Beacon no we had a chat with everybody anyone would have seen this coming a mile away you know, the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing oh yeah that's super simple and direct question it's always fun to get to speak about beer hi I'm Bruce News Editor Matt Kirkegaard and that's just what we're here to do talk about beer or mindfulness as we drink our beer as we talk about a new initiative from Drinkwise, the Never Have I Ever campaign. We work in an industry that is a little different to many. Alcohol is a part of our culture and can be a positive part of it, but due to its very nature, it is a product that has special responsibilities around the way it is marketed and sold and also consumed. It is also important to consider the culture that we promote and accept around alcohol consumption. Because of this, it's always positive to see the way that the broader industry, through Drinkwise, works to create positive change to the thinking around drinking. And some of the most notable and effective campaigns around that have originated from that body. Last week, a new campaign was launched that was actually inspired by concerns raised by a group of young people in the Federal Electorate of Macquarie that had been brought together by local MP Susan Templeman. A youth advisory committee highlighted some issues that were then taken to Drinkwise, who developed the campaign that has taken the drinking game, Never Have I Ever, and turns it on its head. In this conversation, we hear from youth advisory group member Caitlin Daly about the background to that group, the concerns around mental health and drinking that they raised, and also their reaction as young people to their campaign that they informed. We also hear from Drinkwise CEO Simon Strawn about the research that Drinkwise had conducted and how that informed the development of Never Have I Ever, and also what they hope will be the future of the campaign. It's an important conversation about how the industry is facing up to its responsibilities in a meaningful way. I hope you enjoy it. Joining me now is Macquarie Electorate Youth Advisory Group member, Caitlin Daly, who also features in the latest Drinkwise campaign. Caitlin, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thank you so much. Hi, everybody. <laughs> now, I should ask, are you a beer drinker yourself uh, or is, is this just something you're interested in generally? Uh, I'm not much of a drinker anymore, but... I, I will have the occasional drink every now and again now, yes. Okay, well, well let, let's go back in. But before we talk about drinking and your relationship with it and why this campaign works, tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you come to be involved in the youth advisory group? So I am 20. I'm currently studying, but I met Susan, our local member of parliament, one day when she was uh, shopping through Windsor and came and said hello and she had a big interest in what the what the young people in the Hawkesbury cared about and what we were worried about. And she just said that she'd be in contact with me. And a little while later, there was a Facebook group created of a whole bunch of young people who just said, let's talk about what we are worried about. And before we knew it, we were having all having dinner together, working out what we cared about and what we wanted to fix. And we eventually just kind of happened, yeah. I'm 52. Um, what constitutes youth these days um, and, and how big is the group and uh, how, how is it comprised? I think our group has about 30 now. 
30 members and I'm 20 and the group has, I think our age is about from 15 to 25. Okay. And, and so you all talk about the issues that are relevant within the Macquarie electorate and essentially you're uh, an informal advisory body to, to the local member. Yes. We're looking today at the uh, Drinkwise campaign, Never Have I Ever. Talk us a little bit about, was that something that was brought to you or was that something that came out of the meetings that you were having as the uh, youth advisory group, that, that it was an issue that was of concern to you and you raised? Look, it was a very common issue through all of the members. We all know that through the last few years, everybody's mental health has been challenged, especially um, the young people's missing out and all of our really exciting formals and parties and all those kinds of things. So it was a common theme that mental health was an issue and something we wanted to be able to support people better. You guys raised the, the issue around mental health and drinking yourself or was was that how it happened? Uh, it was an issue that came out of the group and you took it to Susan and then Susan went to look for people who could help raise the issue more broadly. Yes, that's correct. And so that was where Drinkwise stepped in. So what was the process of Interface? You obviously had the concern. What was the process from there? Uh, look, it kind of just went flying. So we kind of came up with the idea and talked to Susan who took it to Drinkwise and before we knew it, they come back with us saying it was a great idea and they wanted to be involved and with some ideas of what of what we could put forward to the public. And how was Drinkwise, how were they to work with? Did they then go off and say, well, this is an issue, we've got the research or did they go off and get the research um, for you to, to, to come up with an idea for how you can tackle it? Um, they had a lot of research already. Straight away spoke to their, their marketing team and their um, the person who did everything up the advertisement and then just came back to us with that and said did we like it do we want to change anything they very much let us lead still why was this an important issue to you personally Uh, I personally have struggled with um, both my mental health and with drinking and I just wish I'd had more resources available locally to me what was your introduction to drinking if I can ask that like house parties really it was just it was I had a fairly early introduction from a bad group of friends that I got into but I don't know, I kind of, with the people I had around me at the time, the friends, it was just so common to kind of drink all the time. If you felt good, if you felt bad, if you felt angry, because it just fixed everything, because it made you feel calm or relaxed or whatever. So and that's what I did for um, a while. <laughs> yeah. Did COVID in the last two years, because you're in your early 20s, so you know it, it, it's some of the most significant parts of your young adult life have been covered by the COVID period. Has that had an impact on it as well? Massively. Uh, my first year of uni, I had three weeks on campus before we had our first ever lockdown. So I think we had a lot of things robbed from us. And I mean, compared to what COVID's done, we're very lucky that that was all. But COVID had a massive impact on on everything, on how we socialised, how we lived, how we met people. Um, and personally, that was very difficult. Now, talk to me about, the, as I said, I'm on the wrong side of 50, so some of, this, some of the uh, vernacular and some of the things, I, I understand generally what the never have I ever idea is based on, but tell me uh, as a 20-year-old, um, what is the never have I ever game? So the never have I ever game is generally a drinking game. So you'll be in a group with people and they'll say, never have I ever, and then whatever that is, like done something and then if you've done it then you'll have a drink 
So it's something that's very commonly played. I remember playing the the non-drinking version when I was probably in early high school and you just put a finger down. Like there's a few different versions, but the most common is the drinking one. Okay. So we just wanted something that would, it's something that everybody knew that we obviously didn't want people to drink for it. But it does, and it it doesn't sound like it's a positive and healthy form of drinking. (laughs) It it sounds like it's one of those games that's designed to get people drinking and drinking quickly and not in a uh, positive way. Very, yes. Yeah. So what was the thinking? Who came up with the idea to tie the never have I ever drinking game to a mindfulness, you know, awareness campaign? That was Drinkwise. Okay. So what was the thoughts when they came back uh, with the never have I ever? Uh, I know I personally was very shocked. I was just very surprised. I didn't think that that would be something that would happen. I don't I don't know what I was expecting, but it was just a bit shocking that they would put that together. But when you kind of – I stepped back and had a look at it, I thought, well, it kind of did its purpose. It caught my eye and it made me think, oh, that's kind of interesting. And, and so just for, for people who are listening, so three of the posters are never have I ever been worried about a mate's mental health. And then the tagline at the bottom is if you have, help is available. So – uh, and never have I ever started uh, drinking to overcome anxiety or never have I ever used drinking as a way to cope. Do you think that those three um, posters or taglines are conversation starters? I think they they can be, but I think what they also can be is they're just putting it, putting an idea in your head. It's not something someone yelling at you or trying to have an intervention with you, but it's just getting that idea into somebody's head to think about themselves or to somebody that they care about. And it's just subtle. And if they'll see it, you know, across 28 pubs in the Hawkesbury. So it just, it gets it started. Whether it's a conversation or idea, it's, it's starting somewhere. One of the things that I do recall is that, you know, any government-based education um, campaign or, you know, authority-based education campaigns, typically miss the mark um, for, for, for young people. Um, I am sort of still recall you know, making fun of those sorts of campaigns myself um, when you look at it, when you've got an authority figure coming in and trying to you know, use cool language or be cool or you know, a, a appeal to young people. Has there been any of that sort of reaction to this campaign that you've seen or that, that, that you're aware of amongst your contemporaries? Not that I know of, but in saying that... It's only fully come out to all of the, I think, the pubs in the last few days. It was happening over the course of a week. See, I haven't actually heard anybody say that yet, but I'm sure there'll be a few, and that's okay too. <laughs> They're talking about it, I guess. One of the things that we hear a lot, you know, when statistics can say anything, but one of the things that we do hear is that there is an increasingly level of abstinence or not drinking amongst, uh, you know, people who are under 25. Is, is, is that your perception or is that what you're seeing, um, uh, you know, around your social group and, 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 and wider group of contemporaries? Look, I'm probably seeing both. I feel like I'm kind of getting to the point where you're kind of seeing people go one way or the other. Um, I have quite a few people that are really settling down and really not really drinking at all. Um, and then a few that just are loving going out still when we, like when we turned 18 and are rolling with it and having fun and love doing that every weekend or yeah. But I'd say the most people I know are probably settling down a little bit. 
Yeah. Okay. So, but, but it, is drinking still an issue or is drinking to, you know, cope with anxiety or some of the challenges that we've had over the last two or three years? Yeah, I'd say, look, it's less drinking for fun and more drinking to, to cope. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, an escapism sort of uh, approach. Yes. Yeah. Just one last question. And we've got no involvement with DrinkWise. Um, we write about the industry. But when Susan went off to sort of say, well, here's... I'll go look for somebody that we can work on this issue with. Did it surprise you that it was the alcohol industry that actually funded or you know worked with you on this campaign? Yes and no. I think it did a little bit, but like any company, you kind of got to have both sides. So I was a bit shocked, but at the same time, it was good to know that they cared and that they wanted to be able to provide those resources for the people that need that extra help. There was not one point where I didn't feel like everybody took it Seriously, it was it was amazing how um, supportive everybody was on board. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I, I should let everyone know that you've been speaking to us while you're recovering from COVID. So uh, thank you for, um, for for joining us when you're not 100%. Hopefully uh, your, your recovery goes well. Thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity too. And congratulations on the campaign as well. Thank you so much. Simon Strawn, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, mate, pleasure. I just realised that it's uh, we, we did have you on, I thought it was Beer as a Conversation, but it was actually the brief antidote uh, conversation that we had, uh, wow, two and a bit years ago. It was some time ago, and um, as we know, everything seems to be blurred over the last few years, but uh, it's good to be... Uh, getting some freedoms back and coming out of the pandemic. Yes, but uh, as we just heard uh, from Caitlin, we still have to be very mindful about alcohol and some of the uh, you know impacts and some of the things that uh, some of the habits that we've picked up over the last two years. So, Caitlin told us a little bit about the origins of the Never Have I Ever campaign. Maybe you can tell us about Never Have I Ever from Drinkwise's perspective. Certainly, Matt. It's, it was a really interesting com- concept. Um, and we really applaud the fact that uh, Susan Templeman, the local member, um, formed the Quarry Electorate and the Macquarie Youth Advisory Council recognised that some young adults within that um, region were struggling in terms of their mental health and wanted a campaign that they could develop and push out um, through local channels, particularly around uh, venues where young people congregated, um, young adults in particular, to make sure that they could find that um, resource, have a conversation around mental health, make sure that they moderated their alcohol consumption and had a pathway to reach out for help and support. So when Susan actually reached out to Drinkwise, we were really thankful for that, really receptive. We in conjunction with the Youth Advisory Council and Macquarie, developed a campaign together, um, Never Have I Ever. And it was all about taking that concept, having a non-drinking take um, on that particular game, really to prompt young adults to sit back and think, am I struggling? Do I need to reach out for help and support? Do my friends need help and support? Um, Obviously, that particular region have had fires, floods, COVID, floods again, um, and it's challenging for everyone in the community. Um, But particularly what we've found is that um, young adults have been struggling. Now, from what Caitlin was saying, they they had the Youth Advisory Committee, they'd raised a a number of issues that they uh, sort of had 
to take to Susan Templeman. And she said, okay, well, I'll find somebody to work with on this. And so did Susan uh, uh, approach Drinkwise? So Susan did reach out to Drinkwise and it was a question of, I've got these particular um, issues that are being raised by the Youth Advisory Council and she was looking for an organisation. Susan had seen some of our work before, um, particularly around the You Got This campaign that we did with Year 12 students, but also wanted a connection that Drinkwise could bring to the table in terms of channels and pathways to get the messages out. And Drinkwise obviously um, has connections and, and relationships with industry, and we certainly were able to look at this and say, yes, we can develop a campaign, but we can also work with AHA New South Wales in terms of getting that message out there in hotels um, and really make sure that young people um, were exposed to the Never Have I Ever concept, were able to reflect on their own feelings, on their own mental health, um, and then have a pathway to reach out for help and support through the Reach Out organisation, which, again, Drinkwise has um, a relationship with. You've got research that's uh, referenced as part of the development that looks at some of the statistics. Was that information that you had already, or did Drinkwise go out and commission some additional research to work out the best way to develop this campaign? Drinkwise had um, a significant amount of research from the You Got This campaign that we did um, with you Year 12 students, and that showed that um, there was a significant increase in Year 12s that were anxious about their mental health um, compared with the previous year. So um, just as an example, we had 58% of Year 12 students who were feeling anxious about their mental health compared to 41% in 2020. Um, in 2021, only 41% of students were feeling good about what was happening in their lives and 41% of uh, school leavers are worried about a friend's mental health. So we had that understanding about issues within the community. Um, our work with and our relationship with Reach Out actually found that um, through their own research, um, they found that young people were feeling more negatively about the future uh, compared to before COVID, 44% versus 20%. Um, but the, the most important thing and one of the reasons why Drinkwise is really keen to be involved is that we did find from both our research and the um, the analysis that Reach Out had undertaken that some young people were turning to alcohol as a means to try to cope, which is obviously never the answer. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that if people were stressed and anxious, that they had a professional services pathway um, to get that help, advice and uh, support. You had that research. Who actually came up with the Never Have I Ever campaign? Because speaking to Caitlin, it, it, it actually, shocked may not be the right word, but they were surprised that that was the campaign that came back, given that Never Have I Ever tends to be a drinking game amongst their peers. So the, the concept itself, um, and again, it's a non-drinking concept mm. that takes particular and um, on that particular game but that was a drinkwise uh, development and we actually tested that with the youth advisory group in the Macquarie electorate because um, we wanted something that was going to appeal to young people and, and as we do know they are a hard to reach audience so we did want something that was going to enable them to look at um, sit back reflect um, but also really make sure that they um, they understood that there was a pathway there to help. So as you would be aware with um, historic drink-wise campaigns and the ones that we have developed more recently, 
any campaign that we do has to resonate with people. Um, we want to make sure that uh, it does allow people to reflect on their own state, reflect on their behaviours and actually do something about it. And, and that's why we, um, we undertook that particular campaign. It's working really well. Um, the Youth Advisory Committee were really receptive of it. They probably thought uh, something was going to come back that um, had a parental overtone, but they were um, they were really enthusiastic about this because they said, yes, this is something that's going to resonate with young adults and we're really keen to support it. Well, that, that's pretty much what Caitlin said. Um, and, and I asked her because you know it was a long time ago, but I was young once as well. And you remember anything that had those parental or, or, or authority figure tones trying to talk down to you know you when you were young was easily dismissed or rubbished or ridiculed which you know has has the opposite effect but this was something that seemed to uh, resonate with them and 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 hit quite hard so how do you make it relevant to uh, to young people for this sort of campaign it's all about the research matt so we do a lot of uh, a lot of testing conceptual testing about these types of ideas um, and that was the great part about this partnership with the with the Youth Advisory Council is that they were heavily invested into making this work. Um, they wanted to make sure that it was something that uh, did apply to the region. Um, and obviously, from a drink-wise point of view, if we're going to um, invest the resources into, into coming up with these types of concepts, but also make sure that we had something that AHA could roll out in venues, um, we wanted to make sure it was going to work. And that, that really gave us the impetus to say we are going to sort of challenge people's perceptions. It's not about shock value, but as you said, young people in particular tend to opt out um, as soon as the uh, the finger wagging um, comes into effect. So we wanted something where they could look at, say, wow, you know, we, we, we know this concept, but this is a very different take on it. It's one of the things that frustrates me personally is that, you know, alcohol is one of those regulated substances that we that we need to be mindful of even working in the industry that, that, that there are potential downsides um, but some of the most progressive or impactful campaigns that I've seen over the last 10 12 years have come from the industry funded body drinkwise but because the industry is involved it seems to be easily dismissed by those who want greater regulation are you mindful of that when you come up with a campaign like this of having to appease an audience that doesn't want to be appeased matt when we look at these types of um of problems we look at the the target audience that we actually want to influence and in this case it's young adults so and they are as i mentioned earlier they are hard to reach audience so if we're going to develop a campaign we're less concerned about uh, other stakeholders are more concerned about those young adults. Um, the last thing that we want to see is people turn to alcohol as a means to cope with stress and anxiety. It's not going to help. It's going to make the situation worse. So providing them with the pathway to a support service is, is just critical. And so our intent is always around making sure that um, there's a very much a safer and healthier approach towards alcohol consumption in Australia. And in this case, um, and just like we have with um, our How to Drink Properly campaign, it's about making sure that we actually reach the target audience and resonate with them. Um, and sometimes that means doing things that are a little bit different. But again, 
you know, I think you can look at the success of those types of campaigns and say it is good that something different was done um, because it does resonate, it works, and it changes attitudes and behaviours. This is currently just limited to the Macquarie electorate or uh, the, the, the environs. Is, is the intention that this will go out more broadly and uh, even become a national campaign? That's right. We are looking to pilot this and, ha- and are piloting it within the Macquarie um, electorate. Um, we've got 28 venues that will be displaying this material. Um, we're going to do some follow-up work um, in terms of assessing the campaign. And then the intent is very much to roll this out um, across the country in different electorates. I think one of the reasons we're doing that is to make sure that not only that um, it works and is making a difference, but also we do know more broadly that there's been a lot of mental health issues around the country. We do know that young people do want to get out and socialise now that some of the restrictions have been lifted. But we do want to make sure that um, they're very mindful of the need to moderate if they're consuming alcohol, but also that they do know that they are supported by the broader community um, and that there are professional support services that can help them with advice if they do want to cut back on their alcohol consumption or do need some assistance in terms of their mental health. Just as we do hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, start coming out of the, the, the pandemic and we're not seeing lockdowns and we're seeing people get back about it, does Drinkwise have anything else that you're working on more broadly uh, around mindfulness in drinking? We certainly do, Matt. One of the key things that Drinkwise did um, during the pandemic was to get a better understanding of drinking behaviours and we undertook um, a significant amount of research around zero, low and mid-strength products. And what we did find from that research was that of those that uh, had cut back their drinking during the pandemic, a third of those attributed that to lower strength alcohol products. And so we saw an opportunity to partner up with Endeavour Group um, to really make sure that we could emphasise and promote and really publicise those types of products. So we ran a trial in a number of BWS stores around the country and those trials are ongoing. But what we have seen is there's a real appetite for Australians to cut back on their alcohol consumption, adopt a much healthier and safer view in terms of their drinking, and lower-strength alcohol products is certainly a way for them to do that. Great. Well, Simon, thank you very much for giving up a bit of your time today to talk to us about the Never Have I Ever campaign, and uh, we'll certainly be sharing some of the artwork, and uh, we might even touch base with you in a little while just to see if there's any follow-up about the uh, results and the effectiveness of it. Fantastic. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate your support. And that was Caitlin Daly and Simon Strawn. If you're a listener, don't forget you can join the conversation on the best discussion group on the internet, the Radio Brews News Facebook group. To join the group, just search Radio Brews News in Facebook and use the password Soapbox. We'll probably let you in anyway. It just tells us that you heard it on the podcast. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by sponsoring the show. Either as an individual, you can do a one-off or regular donation. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting service, and that really does help. Or you can just join the conversation by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts on the, on the conversations that we've had or some that you would like to hear.
And thanks for listening to that conversation. Now, here's a little bonus for you. As I hear from Lark Distilling's master distiller, Chris Thompson, who tells me a little bit more about Lark's collaboration with brewer Wolf of the Willows. I asked Chris, what is it about this whiskey and beer that really works for him? Firstly, let's start about what's amazing about this collaboration in terms of the liquid. The liquid that we take is completely polar opposite to a Johnny Smoke Porter. So the whiskey component is this bright, fun, fruity, tropical piece, right? And then the beer is like this dark, heavy, velvety, incredibly thick, viscous. You know, it's got bitter and it also has has sweet that play off each other. So that's the beer. And when you bring them together, then what happens is the, the whiskey is kind of like a, a prism. So you think Pink Floyd for me. You have the prism and the, the beer shines through it. But what, the, what it does, by adding extra brightness, uh, lift and alcohol to the beer, it separates the beer out. And then you can see every single component that made that beer. When we're making the whiskey, in our mind, what we're trying to do is showcase the beer in a different way. Now, the Johnny Smoke Port is such a complex and rich beer, but with the alcohol of the, of the whiskey coming through it, then you can see each of those, each of those components. That's the magic of this, this whiskey um, and the magic of the, the collaboration. Like, in all seriousness, being a whiskey nut for 15-plus years now, there is not a single whiskey on the planet that looks like this. It does everything that you would expect a whiskey to do, but in a completely different way. Um, and it's, yeah, it's... Like, it's exhilarating, it's exciting, like no other whiskey. Yeah, well, it's probably well, it's my favourite whiskey to make every year because of that. So as a distiller with 15 years' experience, what has Chris learned from his experience in partnering with a brewer? Yeah, probably that I'm a bit dumb. So I've, I started off and was like, no, nah, this isn't going to work. There's no chance that I'll, you know, this whole thing. I was so sceptical. And then we went through sort of one... so. We sort of take different casks that look a bit different and we mix it with the beer and be like, what does it taste like? Oh, it doesn't taste very good. And we did that about seventh time, where it was actually the very last whiskey um, sort of representation of the portfolio of what our casks have that we tried that it was like, oh, wow, that's like incredible. We have to do this. And at that point, I don't even think I'd spoken to Scotty. I think um, one of my outsiders, Johnny, had been speaking to, to Scotty about it and I called Scotty. I was like, we've got to do this thing. I'm excited now. So um, what I learned was that I don't know what I'm talking about, at least five years ago. Don't trust your instincts and try everything. Um, and then from there, there what we try to do each year is provide the same backbone of flavour um, but do it in a slightly different way. So if Chris was surprised that this collaboration could work, how has that changed over the course of five iterations of this whiskey? You know, Wolf Number 1 was just about... Um, a pure expression of balance. Wolf number two was um, trying to provide the most of this sort of prism experience with the, the beer shining through and just showcasing. The third one was about excess. Absolutely, there should be too much of everything going on all of the time. It was just this outrageous over-the-top thing. The Wolf number four, which is my favourite, it's actually my favourite whiskey um, that we've done in my 15 years. So I've you know, 500,000 whiskies that I've blended. Um, that's my number one. I've got three bottles at home and they seem to go. It used to be four bottles. So it's probably, a, it's probably a pretty good sign. Wolf number four was, to me, just this balanced experience that just it just showcased everything that was great in the beer and just it was just a little 
piece of um, exhilaration. It's just every time I try it, I just can't believe how much is going on in that, uh, how easily you can see every component of the beer, but also the whiskey. But it's only flashes really quickly as it moves on to the next experience, I suppose, the next flavor. And then this year, this year is the one with the most beer in it. So usually what would happen is that we'd fill the casks all the way up with the whiskey to soak the beer out. But we haven't done that this year. We've actually only sort of 60% filled them. So the ratio of beer to whiskey is way higher. And so this year, the, the beer sits as this kind of solid block within the whiskey and it just showcases it in a completely different way, which is, which is really magical. And then if you add water to the whiskey, which sort of changes the surface tension, then it just erupts and launches out, which is just, yeah, there's no whiskey like it on the planet. And it's just, as you can tell, I get pretty excited. Finally, with so much detail already provided, I asked Chris just how this whiskey is made. In terms of making this thing, there's this like horrific logistics thing that you've got to go through. So we send barrels of whiskey or, or barrels that have held classic cask, which is one of, uh, I think it's the most popular Australian whiskey ever sold, I think. So it's like, it's our one of our flagships and it's just yeah, if you haven't tried it, definitely try it. It's pretty cool. So these are ex-port and sherry whiskey um, barrels, mostly from Sebelsfield Winery, and mostly the wood for those will be at least 100 years old. So they would have held wine in it, and then they've held fortified either a sherry or a port in it for, you know, 60, 70 years, probably refilled a couple of times, sort of, you know, through its period. But, yeah, generally, generally around 100-year-old um, in terms of when it was chopped down as a tree. We get those, we fill it full of our whiskey, then we empty our whiskey out, send them straight up to Melbourne to um, to Wolf, to, to Scotty. Scotty puts the beer in it, so it soaks out all this kind of porty, sherry, sweet um, whiskies, um, raises the ABV. But then we have an issue because if, if Scotty just empties the barrels out and then sticks the buns back in and sh- ships them back to us in Tassie, then the chance of oxidisation, the chances of the beer changing in a really negative way, you know, infection as well, are really high. And so the good thing about the product that we make being, you know, 60 plus percent is it freezes that that process. It freezes that, you know, those changes in the barrel. And so, yeah, what we actually do is we ship the whiskey up. So we'll blend the whiskey against what last year's um, beer was, get a pretty good idea of what it should be. And then what we'll do is we'll ship the whiskey up to, to Scotty to put in the beer barrels. And so they'll empty the barrels. And within 20 seconds of that barrel being emptied, there's whiskey going into that barrel. Um, and so you freeze and you capture the pure essence of that amazing beer, which is pain in the ass, to be honest. But it's, a, it's the right thing to do. It's what makes the whiskey so good. So that's a little bit about Lark's Wolf Release 5 launching on August 8th this year. I know I'm looking out for this one. Watch out for a few more chats about beer and whiskey in the coming weeks, including a chat with Scott from Wolf of the Willows. Uh